Come on in, Overtime with John of the Peter Lane, but it's Spencer German with you once again, third straight night together, and I'm happy to be here with you, breaking it all down, talking about the week that was, and leading you into the weekend. Man, what a day. What a day. The snowstorm that hit us, we've all been hunkered down, my wife was home from work because she works in a school district, my my son, we didn't send him to daycare because we were both home, I think other kids were home around the area. Um, it was just one of those days, one of those snow types of days where you just stay home, you drink hot chocolate, and here I was out shoveling my driveway um, about three hours ago to make sure that I could get out and get downtown and be here with you, and I'm happy that I made it. I would put, okay, I'm kind of a snob, and I don't mean this, in, I, when I say I'm a snob for drive, when, when it comes to driving in the snow, I don't mean that I'm a snob like I'm one of those jerk drivers who's not going to be patient with you. I try desperately to be patient with people on the roads this time of year when it's snowing and, um, you know, because, I listen, I understand how it goes. I drive a Toyota Corolla, all right? Like, I don't have the type of car to be just flying down the freeway in bad weather, running people off the road, swerving in between lanes. And I learned that lesson, I wouldn't say the hard way, but having grown up in western New York, Covering the bills at a point in time in my career. There was a night where I was driving home through a snowstorm back to Rochester where I lived. And I stubbornly was like, eh, I can make it. I'm tired tonight. I just want to get home and sleep in my own bed. And I tried to go home. I was doing fine. And then I got stuck behind a semi that I didn't want to get stuck behind the whole way home. So I tried to get in the less paved or the less uh, plowed lane and ended up getting thrown off the road. Wrecked the side of my car, all these different things. Had to get my car fixed. Luckily, I got thrown back on the road, so I was able to continue my trip, but I didn't have a mirror on my passenger side. So there were some disastrous things that came of that, and I learned pretty quickly, like, all right, never going to try that again. I'm just going to take my time because my car is not one of those cars that can handle this type of weather all the time. Now, I've gotten better at getting the right tires, I've gotten better at understanding what my car can handle. And so that's why I try to be patient with people because I don't know what your car can handle versus my car. And I'm not going to try to be that guy who's like, come on, go faster. And then you end up in a ditch. That's just not nice. So, but what I will say, as I call myself a driving in the snow snob, being from Western New York, today's storm driving in it to get downtown, I'd probably put it at like, I don't know if on a scale of one to 10, it was probably like a five points, 5.8, 5.7. It was, it was moderate. There were some bad spots for me. I completely avoided 480. Didn't even bother getting on there because I checked the map ahead of time. It was all backed up. I was like, I'm not doing that. So I sort of worried, weed my way through the side roads and most of the side roads I took were plowed. So th- this does not. Okay. And I'll tell you like my top three includes some version of, Two times I drove in a snowstorm going from Buffalo to Rochester and a storm I actually drove in coming to this very station on Martin Luther King Day in 2021. And if my boss, Andy Roth, is listening, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Earl the Pearl, my good friend here at the station, he knows what I'm talking about. We were both late that day. One of the worst storms I've ever driven in my life. That was bad. This was fine. Wasn't the worst. Wasn't the best. Um... But that's why I say I'm a snob because I say that and my wife, if she would have been the one driving downtown, she would have been panicked and she was so worried about me because here's the difference. In our household, 
My wife has the four-wheel drive Jeep. And I have, like I said, my little Toyota Corolla. And we always debate whether or not, okay, there's a snowstorm going on. Should I take your car? And I always tell her, I kind of assess the situation and say, if I really, really need to, I will. But I always say, if something happens at home and you need the car with the four-wheel drive to get somewhere, and you have our child, I'd prefer that you have that car. So I'll just try to tough it out in my car and make it work. And I I made the right call tonight. My car had a pretty, I wouldn't say easy time, but it was a pretty normal drive-in to work tonight, which I was pleasantly surprised about because I was worried it was going to be worse. Not too bad. I hope you guys can say the same. I will say too, real quick here, and then we'll get into some uh, a Browns topic before we connect with Chris Easterling of the Akron Beacon Journal. He's going to join us 8.40, two segments from now here on The Fan. But guys, you get a true look into who a person truly is. Are you a good person or a bad person? Are you an a-hole or are you a saint? Based on how people drive during snowstorms. I'm convinced. I am convinced. Because if you're the guy flooring it, if you're the guy tailgating people in a snowstorm, truly pushing the pedal to the metal, trying to get to where you got to go because you have the, the massive monster truck wheels on your truck, okay, you're kind of being a D. Lay off, okay? Be respectful of the fact that other people don't have the same car as you and we're all trying to get places safely. But if you're patient and you're sort of helping people get over into their spots and you're not just blowing by people, which is, again, what I try to generally do, that tells me a lot about your character. So you can learn a lot. From driving with your neighbors, your friends, other people in your community during a snowstorm. You also learn a lot. I got to give a shout out to my neighbor tonight. Um, I was clearing my driveway. I don't have a snowblower because we just moved into this house last year. We didn't need a snowblower in our old place. And my neighbor was kind enough to come help us finish the driveway. And that was another example of you find out the best, you, you get the worst of people or the best of people in these instances. I got the best of people. My neighbors came over. They helped me out. They knew I had to get to work. Very, very kind. And learn a lot about people this time of year. That's all I'm saying. 216-474-0092. As I mentioned, Chris Easterling will join us. We'll pick his brain on the coaching changes that are coming down the pike for the Browns. We will pick his brain on whether or not Joe Flacco could be back in Cleveland, which, by the way, he had some comments about whether or not he'll be back in Cleveland. So we'll get his commentary on it as well uh, coming up later in the show. But, guys, as we've talked throughout the week about Deshaun Watson and why these changes to the coaching staff are being made, I'm less interested at this point in the conversation about who's going to call the plays, who's not. And what I am focused on is what all this means for Deshaun and what all this means for the organization moving forward that is back to Deshaun. And Nick actually mentioned it sort of briefly on Afternoon Drive today. The idea that we are using what Joe Flacco put on tape and what Joe Flacco did for this team as an indictment on Deshaun Watson. And I understand why that is because Joe Flacco gave us the first real competent quarterback play this season, but also that we've seen in a really long time. I mean, you put four straight games with 300-plus yards out there, 
Browns fans are obviously salivating all over themselves. We haven't seen anything like that in this town for in forever. It was, it was a record. It, was, it had never been done in Browns franchise history. So, yeah, you see something like that, and it starts to look like the grass might be greener on the other side. The problem is we all have to kind of be on board with Deshaun playing well if we truly consider ourselves Browns fans and if we truly want to see this team succeed. I already said last night, I think the idea of bringing back Joe Flacco to this quarterback room behind Deshaun Watson is a recipe for disaster because you need to take as much pressure off of him as possible to ensure that you're setting him up for success and that there's nothing mental in his head about being doubted or there's a guy waiting behind me. And I think the contract kind of speaks for itself where that shouldn't be a problem, but I don't know what his temperament's like because I think to this point we've seen a guy who it's in between the ears with a lot of what he's trying to accomplish out in the field. He doesn't seem to take on that villainous role very well. He wants to be respected again. He wants to earn back people's trust and respect, and it takes time given everything that he was accused of for that to happen. It's not just going to happen on one play or one game. And he's got a long way to go still to have Browns fans believing in him again for a lot of Browns fans to just buy into him again, because he's winning football games. And he won four this year. Don't get me wrong. When he was out there, they were winning football games. That's, that's great, but small sample size. And we still haven't seen him rise to the level of, okay, this is the guy that you traded three first round picks for. And then gave the contract that you gave to him for. We're waiting for that. But as I think more and more about this, and I think more and more about our love affair with Joe Flacco towards the end of the season, is Deshaun Watson almost in like a lose-lose situation? Like, is he destined to fail? Because now, not only are we waiting for him to get back to the quarterback he was, and that might never happen, but also... It feels like no matter what happens from here, we're just going to compare him to the guy that we saw in 2023, no matter what. No matter what. It's always going to be, well, Joe Flacco did this, and Joe Flacco did that. And I'm not saying, I, I, like, I've, I've been in the camp, I, I know Earl, Earl the Pearl and I talked about this, and I've talked about it a couple other times. I'm in the camp that like the two things don't have to be based off of each other. Like One doesn't have to have a, a relationship with the other directly. And I, I also and sort of hypocritically have said that the Russ conversation's over for Deshaun because if, if Joe Flacco can come off the couch and do what he was doing this past year at the age of 38 going on to 39 as he turned the earlier this week, then I don't want to hear about, well, Deshaun had, had needs more time to kind of get himself right and, and, and get used to things and shake off the Russ. Like, no, you've had time now to get that sorted out. You got to come out and play good football now. So I am using Joe Flacco as, I guess, a barometer for that, which maybe is contradicting my point here. But I'm also not look. I'm not going so deep with it where I'm going to sit there and base everything off of, well, look what Joe Flacco did last year. Why isn't he doing that? I have to treat Deshaun as his own person, as his own quarterback, as his own player. And I, I've come to terms with the fact that he may never get back to the guy he was in Houston, but the Browns don't even need that. I just worry that with this fan base given what we saw with Flacco late this season, he's just destined to fail anyway because so many people are going to use that now as the barometer of success that he has to have. 216-474-0092. Your thoughts on the topic, on the subject at hand, in relation to Deshaun Watson and Joe Flacco. Also, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Spencito underscore at the very end of it. 
We have a jam-packed show. We only got four hours to do it. We'll keep talking this next. We got Chris Easterling at 840. A lot of good stuff coming your way in this first hour. Keep it locked. Spencer Jim with you. Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin, 92 to the fan. Welcome back in Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. Spencer German with you here, filling in for JP tonight. Um, we got Chris Easterling, Akabika Journal, said to join us at 840. We'll talk to him about all things Cleveland Browns. And uh, after that, by the way, guys, we'll have Brendan Gulick, our good friend here at the station, colleague of ours. Um, he'll join us to talk about Ohio State and the Bill O'Brien hire. That was a big deal last night. I feel like I was the only person in all of Cleveland who was semi-excited about it, which is crazy. Um, But we're starting off the show here talking a little bit about the Browns and the Deshaun Watson-Joe Flacco conversation because I hear a lot of, listen, I hear the pleading to bring back Flacco. I think there will be a discussion to try to bring him back and potentially have him serve as the backup on this team. But... I said it last night. I don't know what kind of dynamic dynamic rather that creates within the quarterback room and within the team when you bring in a guy that had the success that he had, but then you have another guy in Deshaun Watson who's supposed to be having that success and be the guy, and you're still waiting for people to, not the team necessarily, but for outsiders to buy into it. And we've talked before about the pressures of when you draft a rookie quarterback, that kind of looms large over your your team. And, well, are they going to start this guy? Are they not going to start this guy? When are they going to start this guy? And the second that they screw up, the second they make a mistake, the guy that's the starter, you're clamoring for the rookie to be out there. And that's my worry when you have Joe Flacco on this, on this roster. And I just wonder, I just wonder if Deshaun Watson is already almost set up for failure. Because inevitably, I'm really going to try not to compare the two. I'm really going to try not to sit here and be like, oh, well, Joe Flacco did this, so that's now the barometer. Because let's let's face it, guys, Flacco showed us things that we've never seen here from, from a quarterback. But it's not like he was perfect either. And the guy was throwing picks left and right. He threw two picks last week against Houston. That's part of the reason why you're sitting at home this weekend watching football games in the divisional round instead of playing. Because he wasn't this well-oiled machine, perfect quarterback either. So you could do better, and that's what you're hoping Deshaun becomes. But I just worry, like, if he doesn't get back to being the quarterback that he was in Houston, which is what you thought you traded for, when you gave up the first-round picks, when you gave him the, 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 the massive contract, people are going to use that against him. Even if you're winning games. I know that we say that's the bottom line, but there's always higher standards and expectations. And if you get to a game where you're going up against a Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs or a Josh Allen in the playoffs and you lose because the quarterback play is just superior to yours, we're going to be sitting here deciding whether or not the deal was worth it, right? This next season is so massive in terms of what it means for this organization who made this trade, that made this trade, and what it means for Deshaun Watson his future's kind of decided like he's going to be here and you're going to have to eat these major cap hit, these massive cap hits down the line if you keep kicking the can down without extending him. And we don't know if an extension's in the cards. He certainly hasn't warranted an extension to this point. But 
they need to realize the full potential of him in 2024, which is why I think these coaching changes are happening. And he needs to realize his full potential. But the last thing you need is him being compared now to this quarterback that sort of became the the talk of the town. There's going to be people rocking Joe Flacco jerseys at games next year, cheering for the Browns, and everything's going to become if he struggles Well, Joe Flacco did this, or Joe Flacco did that, or if he's still a free agent, Joe Flacco's still out there. Why didn't we bring back Joe Flacco? I don't know that that's necessarily fair to Deshaun, because I think on some level, I don't want to use what Flacco did as an indictment on, on Deshaun Watson. He's his own person, and he does different things as well, which is, again, the coaching changes. I'm pointing to that as the reason you're trying to get more out of Deshaun. You're trying to tap into a different skill set, all these different things. But if you're if they're running the offense next year, this West Coast style offense that that, that that I almost said Sean McDermott, that Kevin Stefanski likes to run, and he's not hitting these play action passes the way Flacco was, or the offense just isn't humming the same way. People are instantly going to go back to man. Remember that wild run with Joe Flacco last year? What if we still had that guy? I just wonder if he's almost set up for failure already. And maybe, to clarify, it might not be set up for failure within the organization, although if they bring back Flacco, that might be adding to the idea that they're setting him up for failure. But I do think they're setting him up for failure, at least from an outside perspective. And people can say the fan perspective doesn't matter inside the building and all these different things, this, that, and the third. But we know that outside pressures can sometimes creep in. And sometimes outside pressures become the reality of what the organization wants because you've got an owner who's meddled before and is going to try to get his way. So I just don't know that we can just assume that that stuff doesn't have an impact at all. And I think, I mean, ultimately, in this instance, the owner's kind of on, kind of in the same waiting game that others are or that the others in the organization are because he's essentially banking on the same thing. He gave out the big contract. He was apparently part of the discussion on going to get to Sean Watson. So the if ownership is on board with this, like they needed to pan out too. It's the same thing with Hugh Jackson. They stuck with Hugh Jackson that extra year because they were like, you know what? We want to see this thing through. We want it to 100% happen. We want this to be a coaching decision that we make that looks good in the end. But I just wonder if Joe Flacco, Flacco, what am I saying? Because of how Joe Flacco played, I just wonder if by default, Deshaun Watson is going to be set up for failure within the the eyes of the the general Browns fan outside the organization. And some people, some people probably think he already is set up for failure. Some people probably think the deal was already a waste and one of the worst deals in Cleveland Browns history. I, I've i had those conversations. I've heard those conversations. It's now being coupled with the fact that you had a quarterback come in here and run what is a similar style of offense. Not exactly the same, but Kevin Stefanski's offense seemed to hum with him out there versus with Deshaun where at times he looked good and comfortable and other times it looked like he was sluggish and dirtying the ball and he was just 
getting it out too quickly and there was maybe nerves there. So I don't know if it's a just strictly a system thing or if it's a mental thing. I lean mental more so than anything with Deshaun, and I think that's part of the reason why they got to make sure that they put him in a situation where his mental state is, I don't have to be a villain. I don't have to get it all back at once. I got to do this kind of methodically. I, I said it before, but like I think the idea that he was trying to go out and sling the ball around the field and get it all back at once and regain everybody's respect and regain his game, I think that played heavily into the player that we saw at the start of last year and why you'd have these first halves that just looked miserable and he couldn't complete a pass or he was short-arming it or it was in the dirt. And then the second halves, he started to look a little better because he settled in. He was taking what was there. He was taking what was given to him. But I think in the fan base... From that perspective, I honestly kind of feel like he's already set up for failure and that the Joe Flacco situation has made it worse. Because we enjoyed this ride so much that now we have this, we had this taste of what good quarterback play or competent quarterback play or elite on some level quarterback play because you're getting these 300-yard games and whatnot. Yeah, you could take the interceptions are a factor, so I wouldn't say it was completely elite, but you got a taste or a, a view of what elite quarterback play can look like. And now that we have seen it, that's our expectation for a guy who's here, that you traded three first-round picks for, that you, not you as fans, but that the organization gave $230 million to guaranteed. Like I said, this next year is so, so massive on the Deshaun Watson front. Because if you go through year three and he still haven't, you still haven't realized the full image or player that he was that you you thought you were getting when you traded for him, that's where the conversation truly shifts to, yeah, the Browns botched this deal. There's some people saying that now, but we don't have the full picture. Year three of the deal, you're right in the middle of it. This is where it really starts to turn against you if he struggles yet again, which again explains why coaching changes are being made. They're trying to accelerate the process. They're trying to guarantee that Deshaun Watson can look like the quarterback or as close to the quarterback that he was in Houston as they 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 need and they they were expecting. It all makes sense. Is it going to be worth it enough? And the fact that you're already changing offensive coordinators this quickly into this experiment with Deshaun also isn't necessarily a good sign that you're setting him up for success or that he isn't already set up for failure. Because he's going to have a new voice in that room. He's going to be going into year three with a lot of pressure, maybe more pressure. That wasn't like, you want to talk about pressure on him? Yes, coming back and playing after all the off-the-field stuff, all the accusations, all those different things, that was enough pressure as is. I think there's probably more pressure on Deshaun going in the next year than even that because now you're year three in. He's got to start proving it a little bit more than what he has to this point. They got to start seeing results. They got to keep seeing wins like we he was producing this year, and they got to look a little bit prettier in the eyes of the fan base. And if it doesn't, then they're going to start doubting the trade. They're going to start doubting you more. And then that doubt steps uh, sets in. 
we get back into the conversation, it all comes full circle back to what's his mental capacity, what's his mental state. What can he handle mentally? I think the stakes are as high as ever for Deshaun Watson. This is probably the biggest year, not only of his time with the Browns, but of his career, if we're being honest with ourselves. 216-474-992 if you want to jump in on Twitter at Spencito underscore as well. When we get back, we got Chris Easterling, Akron Beacon Journal. We'll pick his brain on Deshaun Watson, Joe Flacco, the uh, offseason coaching changes and more. Also, guys, it is a Friday. It is with yours truly, Spencer German, filling in for JP. That means one thing and one thing only. It's a hot take Friday. 10 o'clock, about an hour and 25 minutes from now. We want to hear your hot takes. Get them ready. Start rehearsing them in the mirror. Whatever you got to do. But we will do hot take Friday around 10 o'clock tonight on 92.3, The Fan. Man, oh man, the news doesn't stop out of Columbus, apparently. The news also doesn't stop for the Cleveland Browns as we got news of a couple coaching changes this uh, earlier in the week. And it's been a frenzy ever since trying to figure out what's going to happen, how they're going to approach this thing, what new people could be coming to the staff. And to break it all down with us, we go out to the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. He is Chris Easterling. Chris, I miss seeing your face uh, three or four times a week, man, but I'm happy to have you on the air with me. What's going on? I, I am uh, I'm doing well. Uh, just uh, examining uh, on Zillow, examining real estate prices and uh Southern California, but other than that, uh, not too much. You're trying to move. <laughs> Look outside your window, Spencer. <laughs> Today was the day you were like, you were like, today's the day. I'm convinced. Enough snow. I got to get out of here. It did it for you. <laughs> Look, I would have, I would absolutely have loved to be covering division around playoff game. I want to say that up front before Browns fans come after me when I say the next part. I was not looking forward to driving to either Baltimore or Buffalo in this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate man. Snow. I'm a born and bred Ohioan, but I have, this is the stuff I have never, I have never taken a liking to since I stopped building snow castles and snow forts. Uh, in my backyard. I'm the same. It's funny. I'm the same way, and I've pretty much grown up in both those places you named. Like if if the if the I, I I'm from Western New York. Spent like sixth grade through high school there. Um, I covered the Bills for a period of time, so I was driving back and forth to Buffalo. So I've seen that weather that they were dealing with last week, and I've seen the weather here. And you're right. I'm the same way. Where I'm like, I could live without this. Um, but I uh, I continue to just find myself in northern cities. I don't know why. Uh, you know, uh, we think it's bad here. I, I, uh, I have a, one of my best friends, uh, childhood friends. His, uh, his mom and dad were from, uh, they're from Hamburg, actually. Uh, okay. Right outside Buffalo. Yeah. And I asked, I would regularly ask him, what type of winter hellscape is that up there? And how do you survive up there? I mean, what, what I'm, I'm sure it's beautiful up there in the summer. It but is. you can't convince me you get used to that crap. <laughs> You're, yeah, I don't think you do. Like, if you live in Buffalo, especially south of Buffalo, I don't think there's getting used to that. It, you, you just kind of, uh, I mean, I, and on one hand, it's like any place that has weather, like, oh, we got tornadoes in, you know, Kentucky and Kansas and all these places. You got hurricanes down south and along the, along the oceans, and you just kind of live with it. But, man, oh, man, like, I'm with you. We are we are in the same boat on this 100%. Chris, Chris Easterling joining us on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Chris, we obviously got the news this week about the coaching changes to the 
uh, offensive side of the ball in particular that are being made this offseason, most notably Alex Van Pelt, offensive coordinator, being moved on from. From your perspective, because we had Albert Breer on afternoon drive yesterday, and he kind of mentioned that he doesn't think this was just Kevin Stefanski alone making these decisions. He thinks there's maybe some of the power structure that be from above who are saying, hey, we need to get some people in here with a different perspective to help Deshaun. Do you feel like these moves were more so Kevin Stefanski, or do you feel like what, what Breer kind of alluded to with it being a, a groupthink idea and some of the, the powers that be above Stefanski also uh, had a big hand in this? I think it's a little of both. And uh, How about this? This is a sign, I think, sometimes of a healthy organization. What was? Do we think the Baltimore Ravens are a healthy organization? Yes. I would, I would think most people would say yes. They fired their offensive coordinator last year because they felt like we have this player at quarterback that we're not getting the most out of. We want to we want to maximize what we have with this player. And they went out, they fired a a solid, well respected NFL offensive coordinator, Greg Roman. They went out and they rolled the dice on Todd Munkin and look what it's paid off in. And yeah. you know Pittsburgh has done this. Pittsburgh does this has done this for decades. I mean, the, the, toward the end of Cowers' tenure, when they started to really get good, you know, get back to being the Steelers, you know, you know, going deep in playoffs and all that stuff. Even Tomlin, I mean, this year maybe not with Stan, but even this year, you know, you self assess and you go, how can we, how could, you know, how can we maximize what we've got and look winning in the NFLs it's often in the margins and the margins can be as simple as yeah we have a really good offensive quarter we have somebody we're very comfortable with offense as, as our OC as this as that but we feel like we can get better I mean we saw it with their defense and their special teams this year yeah. now that's a little bit different situation but there is no question that the change in defensive coordinator and the change in special teams a year ago paid massive dividends and helped this team get to the playoffs. What is to say that, look, they're all, they're pot committed to Deshaun Watson. I mean, it is what it is. So how are we going to take this, this asset and we're going to make the most of it? How are we going to use this window? Because look, everybody is getting older in that building. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not 2019, 2020, where this is a, the, one of the youngest rosters in the league. It's going to be one of the older rosters in the league uh, next season. The window with this particular group before you really start to have to ask serious personnel questions. You know, you're you're on the. You know, you're if you're not at the the apex of it, you're 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 getting close to it, so you have to maximize it. So go out and find somebody who's going to ma- who can maximize it. So my follow-up question to that is, because we've talked about this throughout the week on the station, does this decision, when they find their next offensive coordinator, does it end with Kevin Stefanski relinquishing play-calling duties, or do you think that will ultimately still stay with him? I go back and forth with this. I don't... I think Kevin Smith is a very good play caller. I think he's a, in, in, I think in some ways he's an underrated play caller. Yeah. I think in this Agreed. market we, uh, it's just people. As I mean, you've, I mean, you take calls 
regularly from the, from the fans and the fan base. And they, you know, people get entrenched in their positions and it, it, it takes something, nothing short of uh, moving mountains uh, to make them change. So they're just never going to give Kevin that benefit of the doubt. I thought he had a, a very good year calling plays this year. But I see he, I mean, he admitted, I, I think I saw Keith uh, Britton tweet out a comment he made last year on your guys' station about, look, it takes a lot out of you yes. on top of everything else you do. So I, I think if if he relinquished the play calling duties next year, and, but was still involved, you know, I think he's got an expertise, but if he's still involved, but says, hey, look, I trust you to do this because I'm comfortable enough in my own skin as a head coach now, potentially with two playoff appearances, a coach, two coach of the year possibilities. I will let you have that. I think it could benefit the whole, the whole, the whole organization because maybe it allows Kevin to, to maybe better, better, you know, work on some of the areas where he still maybe isn't, quite as good as in that head coaching role. So uh, the long, long answer to a uh, get to, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, if it, I, I, maybe that is, maybe that's part of all part of the self-reflection that all these teams go through when you get to the, you know, when you, your season comes to an abrupt end is, you know, this part of the self-assessment is this is it's time. This I need to have another – I need somebody else in that specific role. Talking with Chris Easterling, Akron Beacon Journal. You can follow him at C Easterling ABJ on social media, on X rather. Um, I'm going to give you – well, actually, let me do this one first. How likely is it you think that Nick Chubb becomes actually becomes a, cash cap, a cap casualty this year? He is one of the players that gives you the most money that you would save if that happened – but we know the ties and the the fan, uh, uh, how much he means to this team, but also the fan base as well. That would be that would be as it would be a cold, ruthless move. Yeah, which means it's absolutely a, a move <laughs> you have to consider because look, you you're trying to win, and you're again you you're going to need to add pieces. You're probably not just not just through you know draft you're going to need to add veteran pieces that can can help this team and you're going to need cap space to do it <sighs> tbd uh, how about that cop out <laughs> I, I just we're gonna now I, we're gonna I have to circle that, we're gonna I have to all, talk all that we're gonna I have to do that. this again then we're gonna have to have you back when you have a better feel for it if you're gonna be on the well, fence <laughs> i mean i want to i want to hear what andrew has yeah, to say that's fair to speak on monday that's fair i i, I want to it, it, it's been this thing that's sort of hung over. This isn't, this isn't, I'm going to invoke a name that is, I'm going to invoke a big name in Northeast. It's as close to Bernie yeah. as you can get in terms of cutting a Cleveland Browns player. It's probably true. Now, yeah, I, I, now I'm, I'm not, I mean, Obviously, the circumstances. He's clearly hurt. He's clearly coming off of massive knee and massive knee surgery. All of that. So the circumstances are different. But in terms of franchise, beloved franchise icon, guy who was a good, loyal, 
soldier for this franchise who represented all of the best things on the field uh, and and off of it for this team. Nick Chubb is as close as you get to Bernie. And that's an awfully tough move to yeah. make. Yeah. It's easy to look at it in black and white on a, on a uh, on a spreadsheet, but uh, you know I do think you know there is emotion that will come into play here. That's why I'm I'm I, I, I hesitate to say definitively they would make the move, even though it would absolutely make yeah. financial sense in terms of what it does to create cap space to help the 2024 Cleveland Browns become, you know, potentially not just get back to the playoffs, but advance deep into the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I, I, you're 100% right in your assessment. I'll let it, I'll, I'll let, I'll allow it this time, but we'll have to revisit this conversation down the line. I'm going to get you out of here with this, Chris. I'm going to give you, I'm going to rattle off five names here, free agents off this Browns roster. All you have to do is tell me whether or not they're going to be back or not back. I'll start with Zadarius Smith. Back or not back? No. Wow. Uh, I, I just, I, I think, I, I, I agree with a, a lot of colleagues who also said this. I, I think they got what they got, what they needed. Zadarius again, another. He was a good soldier this year. He didn't rock the boat, but they learned their lesson from Jadavian Clowney. Take what you can get, cut bait when you can. Uh, Mo Hurst. Depends on the price. Okay. And yeah, and, and if he does come back, I think it's something that we see closer to it's later it's later in the process. Sione Taki Taki. Yes. I think I think you need somebody in that room. Beyond JOK next yeah. year, uh, and and Sione, you know, he he can play linebacker. He's a solid linebacker. He's, I think, he's one of the voices in that room that that's respected in the locker room is respected. Yes. Two more: Anthony Walker Jr. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Unfortunately, I, I just the the injuries. I just think the injuries are 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 are. are the issue yeah, there. Yeah. And you know, you, you, you already know what the last was going to be. Joe Flacco. <laughs> no. Mm, I, I agree. I don't, I don't think, I think for the psyche of Deshaun Watson, I think you, you risk too much keeping him in that room with him. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it ends up happening. Chris, I, uh, I appreciate your time. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at C Easterling ABJ. Um, read his work. Of course, at the Akron beacon journal, always appreciate the conversation, my friend, I will hopefully catch you soon. Thanks again for joining us.